Joe Biden steps all over himself on national television. Pete Buttigieg and Bernie Sanders unveil their foreign policy radicalism and Democrats move to call Republicans bluff on transparency. I'm Ben Shapiro. This is The Ben Shapiro Show. The Ben Shapiro Show is sponsored by ExpressVPN. Protect your online privacy today at expressvpn.com slash Ben. Okay, we have a ton to get to today. We're going to begin with Joe Biden. So the polls show that Joe Biden continues to maintain this national lead. He is still considered the Democratic frontrunner, even though the betting markets have Elizabeth Warren above Joe Biden at this point. But every time Joe Biden is on TV, it raises questions, literally every time, it raises questions from the left about why exactly this guy is the frontrunner. So over the weekend, Joe Biden was on 60 Minutes, and he was trying to explain why it is that Barack Obama has not endorsed him yet. If you're such a great candidate, why is it that you were the VP, and then there was the president that you served under, and he looks like he refuses to endorse you. I mean, he he endorsed Justin Trudeau up in Canada, like that guy, but he didn't endorse you. So why? So Joe Biden has to come up with some sort of credible excuse, and instead he comes with a very non-credible excuse. Here's Joe Biden saying, no, 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 you know, I'm, I'm just like... I'm like the the son of a famous guy. I want to do it all on my own, all on my own, just like every son of every famous person should, just like Hunt, Hunter. Yeah, no. Here, here was Joe Biden trying to explain why Barack Obama has not yet intervened in the 2020 election to back him. Some have asked, why hasn't President Obama endorsed you? You guys served together for eight years. Because I have to earn, I want to earn this on my own. Did he offer to endorse you? No, we didn't even get there. I asked him not to. He said, okay. I think it's better. I think he thinks it's better for me. I have no doubt when I'm the nominee, he'll be out in the campaign trail for me. Yeah, when you're the nominee, but that's not the question. <laughs> of course he would be. He was on the campaign trail for Hillary Clinton last time. I mean, you could nominate, you could nominate Cory Booker and he'd be out on the trail. But you could nominate Seth Bullock. What is his name? Seth Bullock. What's the name of the guy? Governor Bullock. Not Seth Bullock. Seth Bullock's the guy from, Tombs, from, uh, from, from Deadwood. Bullock, the, the, the governor of, of Montana, you can nominate that guy and Obama would be out on the trail for him. But the fact is that Joe Biden is making excuses here. And it's pretty obvious he's making excuses here because he's running a very weak race. And a lot of that weakness is, again, based on his own vulnerabilities. He, here's the thing about running against Donald Trump. Every time you attack Trump, you better be clean on the score upon which you are attacking Trump, because if you are not, it is going to come back and it is going to bite you directly in the ass. President Trump has no problem whatsoever with turnabout as fair play. And the problem for Joe Biden is that half the stuff that he says can easily be turned on him. So let me give you an example. Joe Biden was in the 60 Minutes interview, and he also said that Donald Trump's children should not be working in the White House, that it's a full-on disaster that Donald Trump's kids, Ivanka and her husband, Jared, are working in the White House. Obviously, that is quite terrible stuff. You wouldn't want this kind of nepotism working in the White House. I mean, it would be terrible if somebody had like a child, like say a son, who is absolutely profiting off his father's neck, like Hunt. Like, like Hunter. Here is Joe Biden going after Trump's children. If I'm president, get elected president, my children are not going to have offices in the White House. My children are not going to sit in on cabinet meetings. What's improper about that? It's just simply improper because you should make it clear to the American public that everything you're doing is for them. For them. And the idea that you're going to have his children, his son-in-law, etc., engaged in the day-to-day operation of things they know nothing about. Just think you don't think Jared Kushner should be negotiating a Middle East peace solution? No, I don't. <laughs> I don't. What, what credentials does he bring to that? I mean, what credentials does Jared Kushner bring to the business of Middle East peace? I mean, like, it would be terrible if you had a son who was going around, you know, with no credentials 
just getting involved in in foreign places around the world and using your name as credibility in order to get things done for himself, right? Self-dealing, that'd be just awful. You know, just like Hunter Biden. So there's this story from NBC News yesterday. Quote, Hunter Biden's legal work in Romania raises new questions about his overseas dealings. Question, did Hunter Biden not take money in any country? This guy's doing where in the world is Carmen San Diego at this point? Where in the world is Carmen San Is Hunter Biden? I mean, it just like Ukraine, China, Romania. It really is. I used to I used to play that that Carmen San Diego computer game as a kid, just like everybody from my era did. And it's just it's Hunter Biden. He's wearing like the, the fedora and he's wearing the high collared trench coat. and He's going around picking up money in various countries. Is there anywhere Hunter Biden wasn't using his father's name? This is according to NBC News. Again, this is not according to Daily Wire or Daily Caller or Breitbart. This is according to NBC News. In the final year of the Obama administration, an American lawyer traveled to Romania to meet with a businessman accused of orchestrating a corrupt land deal. The businessman was Gabriel Pui, Pui Popoviciu. It's spelled P-U-I-U. That's why I'm, you're ha- I'm having some trouble reading it. Puiu Popoviciu, a wealthy Romanian real estate tycoon. The lawyer brought in to advise him was Hunter Biden, the son of then Vice President Joe Biden, according to two people familiar with the matter. Because when you are having a trouble with Romanian real estate deal, you're like, I want the best. You know, I'm a wealthy real estate tycoon. I need the best lawyer. I need the Perry Mason of this thing. We need the best lawyer. Somebody get me Hunter Biden. You know, the guy who was just kicked out of the Navy for alleged drug use. That guy, right? Like that... That's who I need. Hunter Biden's work for Popovich in 2016 went unreported at the time. Weird, because everything that Ivanka Trump and Jared Kushner has ever done has been reported. Just going to point that out. But Joe Biden's involvement in Romania was very much public. The VP was among the leading voices pushing the government to crack down on corruption. There's no evidence that Hunter or his father acted improperly or violated any laws, but the arrangement, government ethics experts say, raises concerns that Hunter Biden was used as a prop in Popovich's efforts to dodge criminal prosecution. Kathleen Clark, Washington University law professor, says we don't know what Hunter Biden was paid or what he was paid for, but it does raise questions of whether this Romanian individual facing criminal charges was actually paying for a connection to the American vice president. Hunter Biden's work overseas, primarily in Ukraine and China, has become a subject of the presidential campaign through the efforts of Trump and his personal lawyer, Rudy Giuliani, to portray the international dealings as corrupt. And does it look kind of corrupt that Hunter Biden, again, was acting as sort of random bagman, legal bagman for everybody on earth. He's going to be popping up in Hungary soon. We're going to find out that he was in Chile for some odd reason. He was just lawyering up some cattle deal in Chile or something based on his vast knowledge of agriculture. At some point, you would have figured that Joe Biden, right, Captain Anti-Corruption, would have stepped in with Hunter and said, listen, we're going to have plenty of money. I'm the vice president of the United States. We're not going to be short on cash here, Hunter. Just hold up. Just slow your roll for five seconds here until I'm no longer vice president of the United States. And then you can go make whatever speeches you want. But he never apparently said this to Hunter. Apparently he was just like, you know what? Go ahead and do what you want. Now, it's funny because the media keep going. There's no evidence that there's any corruption here. Okay, show me the evidence that Jared Kushner has profited wildly from being stuck in the office next to his father-in-law, listening to his father-in-law's tirades about the Middle East. Like, show me how Jared Kushner is just raking in the dough that way, as opposed to when he was doing, you know, $100 million real estate deals in New York City and not having to deal with all of this. Last week, Hunter Biden announced he would step down from the board of a Chinese investment company he joined in October 2017. It's very weird also the timing of when Hunter Biden is stepping down from this stuff. And he stepped down from Burisma like right after Joe announced. And now he's stepping down from that Chinese board like now when all the focus is on him. Are we wrong to be suspicious about all this? This is why Biden and his candidacy are extremely, extremely weak. We're going to get into more of that in just one second. First, 
got to tell you, I am deeply concerned about safety. I mean, we spend lots and lots of money at this company on my personal safety, unfortunately, because there are just a lot of threats against me. What that means is that I really want to know who's at my front door at all times. If somebody rings that doorbell, I want to know who it is before I go out to the gate and pick up that FedEx package. Safety is really important to me. That is why I use Ring. Ring's mission is to make neighborhoods safer. You might already know about their smart video doorbells and cameras that protect millions of people everywhere. Ring helps you stay connected to your home anywhere in the world. So if there's a package delivery or a surprise visitor, you'll get an alert and you'll be able to see, hear, and speak to them all from your phone. This makes me feel safer. I mean, right now we are 8,000 miles away from home and I still know who's at my front door. I mean, like my wife's phone jangles every time there is somebody at the front door, which is great. I mean, we want to know who exactly is around our property. As a subscriber, you have a special offer on a Ring welcome kit available right now at ring.com slash Ben. The kit includes that Ring Video Doorbell 2 and a Chime Pro, which is just what you need to start building a ring of security around your home today. So go to ring.com slash Ben. That is ring.com slash Ben. Additional terms may apply. I love Ring and you will too. Okay, so as I say, Joe Biden's candidacy is weak because every area of attack is an area in which he is fully capable of being attacked. It's the same thing that happened with Hillary Clinton. Hillary Clinton thought, I'm going to attack Donald Trump on his rampant, vicious, brutal sexism. I'm going to go after him on the I'm going to grab people by the bleep. Right, uh, she was going to go after. There's only one problem. You are married to Bill Clinton. And according to some of Bill Clinton's victims, you were threatening them. Right. So if you are going to attack somebody, you at least have to be somewhat clean on the score upon which you are attacking people. Right. And that is not the case with Joe Biden. Another example. So Joe Biden is on TV calling Trump an idiot for calling the Russia investigation a hoax. Well, Joe Biden, last I checked, has been on TV suggesting that any implication of any corruption with regard to Hunter Biden is a hoax, unevidenced and nonsense. So which is it? Do you get to call investigations targeting you a hoax or not? Like what, what, what exactly? It, how is this going? I, I'm just confused. What is the standard for when you are allowed to say that an investigation targeting you in which you know yourself to be innocent is a hoax? Here is Joe Biden saying that Trump is an idiot for using that sort of verbiage. I mean, how concerned are you about foreign interference in this election? I'm very concerned about foreign interference beyond me. Everybody knows what's going on. Trump not only doesn't want to do anything about it, he's going out and asking for help. Come help me. Come help me defeat, keep Biden from being the nominee. Perpetuating. I mean, how is he perpetuating it? Well, by encouraging them to, you know, to get involved in our elections. But President Trump says Russian interference is a hoax. <laughs> he's an idiot. On terms of saying that, everybody knows this. Everybody knows it. Nobody doubts it. Okay, so again, Joe Biden is not the best messenger for the Democratic Party. The problem is they don't have a good messenger. So it's funny. You, you watch Democrats these days, and they keep appealing to Republicans. They keep appealing to people who, who didn't vote to, for, for Trump in 2016, but are more likely to vote for him in 2020. And they're like, well, look at all the stuff that Trump's doing. And I'll admit, a lot of stuff that Trump says, I cringe. Right. There's a lot of stuff that Trump does that I cringe. And then I look at you guys and I'm like, if you think I am voting for you, you are out of your mind. You're out of your mind. I mean, first of all, Joe Biden is an incredibly weak candidate who is susceptible on a lot of these scores. Second of all, Elizabeth Warren is a radical and a damned liar. Okay, there is an article in The New York Times today talking about Elizabeth Warren's random sudden shift against big corporations. Right now, she spends her days ripping on big corporations. They're so evil. They hate American citizens. They don't care about you. She was happy to take their money. She was really happy to take their money. According to the New York Times, Elizabeth Warren had never taken on the federal government before. But in 1995, she found herself up against the Clinton administration representing the Cleveland-based conglomerate LTV Steel. Even though LTV had sold off its coal mines during the 1980s, a new law required it to contribute to a health fund for retired miners. LTV believed it should not have to pay. 
Those claims, the company said, should have been handled as part of its bankruptcy reorganization. Warren's job was to convince the Supreme Court to hear LTV's case. The court declined, but for Ms. Warren, the issue would fester. Over a decade later, when she ran for Senate from Massachusetts in 2012, the Republican incumbent, Senator Scott Brown of Massachusetts, tried to use her work for LTV against her, unleashing an ad calling her a hired gun who sided against working people. The LTV case was part of a considerable body of legal work that Ms. Warren, one of the nation's leading bankruptcy experts, took on while working as a law professor, moonlighting that earned her hundreds of thousands of dollars over roughly two decades beginning in the late 1980s, mostly while she was on the faculty at Harvard. Much of it involves representing big corporate clients because Elizabeth Warren is a deeply unprincipled human being. Elizabeth Warren is happy to take the check when it benefits her, but then she is going to turn into Bernie Sanders on steroids as soon as it benefits her to do that. According to the New York Times, remember this is the New York Times going after Warren now. Ms. Warren has ascended toward the head of the Democratic presidential pact on the strength of her populist appeal and progressive plans, which include breaking up big tech companies, free public college, and a wealth tax on the richest Americans. Her political opponents, in turn, have sought to find a soft spot on issues of authenticity, chiefly Ms. Warren's handling of her claim to Native American ancestry. Upon that, against that backdrop, some of Ms. Warren's critics have seized upon her bankruptcy work for LTV and other big corporations to question the depth of her progressive bona fides. How, they wonder, could someone whose reputation is built on consumer advocacy have represented a company seeking to avoid paying for retired minors' health care? Ms. Warren's campaign did not make her available to discuss her outside legal work. She's good with the selfies. She's not good with answering questions, as we know. And she likes to talk about, oh, these thousands of selfies. First of all, it's not a selfie when it's just a photo line. Yeah, I do lots in photo lines. Those are not all selfies. But put aside the, the silliness of the selfies. She doesn't want to talk about what her health care plan is going to cost or how she's going to pay for it, how she's going to pay for, by latest estimates, $42 trillion in spending over the next 10 years. And she doesn't explain how exactly that, that's going to be paid for by a 2% wealth tax. The answer is it's not. She doesn't want to answer questions about her history. She doesn't want to explain why she shifted on school vouchers from very much pro in 2003, 2004 to extraordinarily against in 2019, just when she needs the support of the American Federation of Teachers. Weird, isn't it? She's deeply inauthentic. And even the New York Times is pointing it out. Over the years, Warren has twice released accounts of her practice, a partial list of cases in 2012, and a fuller list of more than 50 cases posted to her presidential campaign in May. Among her corporate clients were Travelers Insurance, the aircraft maker Fairchild, as well as one of America's wealthiest families, the Hunts of Texas. She advocated for a railroad company that wanted to avoid paying for a Superfund cleanup and advised Dow Chemical as its subsidiary, Dow Corning, dealt with thousands of complaints from women who said they had been harmed by its silicone breast implants. But she also worked on a number of cases involving consumer bankruptcy and victims' rights and asbestos litigation. In very brief and simplified summaries, the list casts much of her work, even for corporate clients, in terms that align with her pro-consumer narrative. Those descriptions have themselves become a focus of some contention. A review by the New York Times reveals a complex picture in which many cases defy simple black or white categorization. It offers a look at a relatively unexamined aspect of her thinking. When they say it defies simple black or white categorization, that is to say, no, she was not a thoroughgoing progressive when she was willing to take the cash. Okay, that's the, that's the reality of Elizabeth Warren. We'll get to more of that, her inauthenticity, in just one second. First, let's talk about something really important. That is preserving your memories. So right now, for example, I am on this trip to Israel. We've taken tons and tons of pictures. Now, we have those picture, pictures digitally available. But if I had taken this trip even 15 years ago, I wouldn't have that ability. If I had taken this trip 15 years ago, I'd probably have to go print out the film. And then all of that stuff would be moldering in a garage somewhere instead of being available to me with one click of a button. And if it were my parents, and my parents had taken this trip, 
then it would be on old film reels, probably. Well, if you got any of those old film reels, any of those old photos that are stuck in your garage and they are just falling apart, rotting away, getting mildewed, or if you're afraid that you're going to have to move and I got to schlep these boxes of stuff, well, I have a really great solution. It's called Legacy Box. You can save your family films and photos from degrading or being lost forever. You might have those old VHS tapes, but you don't have a VCR anymore. So what good do those do you? You can get all of those transferred to a digital format. You can experience the joy and nostalgia of looking back at all of the good times. Send your Legacy Box filled with old home movies and pictures, and then Legacy Box does the rest. They professionally digitize your moments onto a thumb drive, digital download, or DVD. They've got easy-to-follow instruction safety barcodes included for every item. It's the world's largest, most trusted digitizer of home movies and photos. Go check them out right now. There's never been a better time to digitally preserve your memories. Visit LegacyBox.com today to get started. Plus, for a limited time, they're offering my listeners an exclusive discount. Go to LegacyBox.com slash Shapiro to get 40% off your first order. Again, go to LegacyBox.com slash Shapiro. Save 40% today. Get started preserving your past. LegacyBox.com slash Shapiro. Save 40% today. Okay, so... The New York Times going after Elizabeth Warren. Her work, the scholars say, should be understood primarily as an effort to preserve the right to file for bankruptcy and the integrity of the bankruptcy system. Oh, it's just that she was being happy to be paid by by giant corporations to take care of all of that. According to this, this law professor, Douglas Baird at University of Chicago, he says he's not her political supporter. He says Warren was simply advocating for clients, not necessarily with an eye toward the future popularity of her positions. Lawyers, he said, are to some extent plumbers or mechanics trying to be zealous advocates for their clients. Oh, isn't that, oh, it, or, or maybe she just wanted the money. In 1998, the Harvard Crimson reported Warren was paid $192,000 in salary plus $134,000 in other compensation, which is a pretty sweet gig. Probably she made more than half a million dollars from her legal consultancy, according to the New York Times. Most of the work fell outside the period when she was required to submit financial disclosure reports. Travelers paid her more than $200,000 over several years for advice on dealing with asbestos claims against its insured, John Manville, for example. So this is definitely, it's definitely questionable when it comes to, when it comes to Elizabeth Warren, for sure. And there are going to be a lot of attack ads on Elizabeth Warren. So it's, it's an extraordinarily weak field. But then you get to the actual radicalism of the field. So yesterday... A bunch of Democratic candidates appeared at a group called J Street. J Street is a radical anti-Israel group that purports to be a Jewish group. Most of the people who, or at least a lot of the people who are in the leading positions at J Street have no actual relationship with Judaism or Israel. They're just anti-Israel people who happen to have a Jewish last name, are ethnically Jewish. They don't care about Israel. They hate Israel. They've supported boycott, divest, and sanctions in the past. At least many of their chief people have. They, are, they routinely take positions that are antithetical to the safety and security of the state of Israel. They are awful for the state of Israel. And so naturally, Democrats trot them out as pretend Israel supporters because the fact is that most people who actually support Israel in the United States recognize the Democratic Party has moved away from a correct position on this issue, a morally justifiable position on this issue. And instead, they've moved into the realm of supporting Israel's opponents, namely Hamas, Hezbollah, Islamic Jihad, and the Palestinian Authority. And because that's the choice over here, okay? The choice is not between... Israel, and some nice, happy-dappy-do government on the other side. The Palestinian Authority is a terror group that names streets after terrorists and pays families of terrorists after the terrorists go and commit suicide bombings or killings. The Palestinian Authority is currently in a joint government with Hamas, which is an overt terrorist group, which has been firing rockets into Israel fairly routinely, firing incendiary kites and balloons into Israel fairly routinely, building terror tunnels to try and kidnap Israeli citizens, spending millions and millions of dollars in order to do all of this stuff. Okay, that, they're in a joint government with the Palestinian Authority. Islamic Jihad is a terrorist group. 
These are all terrorist groups. And when people call on Israel to negotiate with these terror groups, the question is, why? Why would Israel ever do that? Well, the Democrats have been calling on Israel to do all of that because the Democrats have a view of foreign policy in which Israel is rich and big and bad because it is rich. And therefore, the people that Israel is facing down can't be terrorists. They're just sort of unsung multicultural heroes. They're people who have been put upon by the, by the West. They're people who have been put upon by Israel. The poverty of Palestinians is not due to the Arab world's refusal to take them in over the last 70 years or provide them any sort of funding over the last 70 years. It is not due to the Palestinian leadership's inability to come to any sort of deal, a deal offered by Yitzhak Rabin or a deal offered by Benjamin Netanyahu in Wye River or a deal offered by Ehud Barak or a deal offered by Ehud Dolmert. It doesn't matter, right? None of those matter. The only thing that matters is that Israel is big and bad and military, militarily powerful, and the Palestinians are poor little victims. Now, there's only a couple of groups in the United States that purport to have any relationship with Jews that take this position. One is J Street, which, again, is an awful, terrible organization filled with damned liars. And so this is where the Democrats go. They stop by J Street to pretend that J Street is an actual legitimate organization, a legitimate pro-Israel organization or an Israel advocacy organization when it is not. It is a front group for people who despise the state of Israel. So Democrats show up to talk to J Street, right? They wouldn't show up to AIPAC, right? Not one of these people showed up to AIPAC. Now, I am not a big believer in AIPAC, right? AIPAC is the American Israel Public Affairs Committee. I have never been a huge advocate of AIPAC because I think that AIPAC lends credence to people who are overtly anti-Israel. AIPAC will invite nearly anybody to speak to AIPAC. They will fly people to Israel who take terribly anti-Israel positions, pro-Iranian positions. They'll provide cover for those people. But at least AIPAC is actually a pro-Israel organization overall, right? At least AIPAC takes the position that Israel is a morally justified state that should exist. J Street doesn't really believe at root in the existence of the state of Israel. If they could go back 70, 71 years and just erase its existence, they absolutely would, right? They take... If they're not saying so overtly, they're certainly saying so behind closed doors. They despise the state of Israel. Okay, so Democrats have gone there to make overtures to J Street. And they're taking extraordinarily radical positions. Right, Their so-called moderates are taking extraordinarily radical positions. So Pete Buttigieg, who's the newfound moderate, right? He's the voice of moderation in the Democratic Party. He didn't just go there and push the Iran deal, which you would expect that from every Democrat at this point. They all push this garbage Iran deal that allowed Iran to develop long-range ballistic missiles and fund terror all over the Middle East with Americans allowing dollars to flow into Iran. And all they had to do was basically pledge that for 10 years they wouldn't develop nuclear weapons, making sure that in a heartbeat they could turn those machines right back on as soon as the 10-year period is over, and they could have the money, and they could have the terror support, and they could have the ballistic missiles. It's a terrible, terrible, horrible deal, the Iran deal. But Obama cut it, so obviously Democrats are going to say that it's good. But it's not even that that I'm talking about here when I talk about democratic foreign policy radicalism. I'm talking about the Democrats now making overt that they wish to cut all military aid to Israel on the grounds that Israel won't make deals with terrorists. Okay, they're, they're you might call it a quid pro quo. They're actually saying out loud that they would cut military aid to Israel over Israel not cutting a deal with terrorists. Now, if you want to say that you want to cut military aid across the board, I'm kind of in favor. Right? I, Israel is a strong country. Israel has been able historically to take care of itself ever since 1973. Okay, the fact is that Israel can buy weapons from the United States without having to take military loans. If you want to say that all of that, I hear it. I hear it. I mean, listen, it's still vital because Israel's economy, while strong, is not enormous. But if you want to make that argument, I kind of hear that argument. If you're making the argument, however, that Israel should be singled out for removal of military aid when it is facing down terror groups on literally every single one of its borders, you're out of your mind. But that's exactly what Democrats are doing. So when people say, why won't you support Democrats when Donald Trump does X, Y, or Z? 
All I have to do is point. All I have to do is point because this is what the Democrats stand for. We're going to get to the Democrats' radicalism in just one second. First, let's talk about credit card debt. It is extremely easy to get into credit card debt, unfortunately. I know people who have gotten into tens of thousands of dollars of credit card debt, and the next thing they know, they're looking around, and those interest charges are racking up at extraordinary rates because very often they'll say, oh, well, you know, you got this, well, you got this deal to get into a credit card, low interest rates, and then you miss your payment by a month or two, and suddenly you're paying like 20% interest rates. It's very easy to get stuck in this sort of cycle. Well, you should get out of it if you're a responsible person. What's the best way to do that? Well, you consolidate your debt and you pay off your credit cards with one fixed monthly payment. This is where Lending Club comes in. Lending Club has helped millions of people regain control of their finances with affordable fixed rate personal loans. No trips to a bank, no high interest credit cards. Just go to LendingClub.com, tell them about yourself and how much you want to borrow and pick the terms that are right for you. If you're approved, your loan is automatically deposited into your bank account in as little as a few days. Lending Club is the number one peer-to-peer lending platform with over $35 billion in loans issued. It is easy to get into debt. There's no reason to stay in debt. Go to LendingClub.com slash Ben. Check your rate in minutes. Borrow up to 40 grand. That's LendingClub.com slash Ben. LendingClub.com slash Ben. All loans made by Wem Bank, member FDIC, equal housing lender. Go check them out right now. Okay, so as I say, radicals on the Democratic side. So Pete Buttigieg, the supposed moderate, here's what he had to say about threatening foreign aid to Israel. And folks are saying, oh, see, the deal's no good because they're doing all this. Well, of course, that's not what the deal was for. The deal was to restrict nuclear activity, and it worked. It worked. I believe the Obama administration got this right, that the one thing to prioritize is to make sure they're not nuclear. Would you also consider conditioning U.S. aid to Israel as leverage to stop or slow future settlement construction. If we continue to see steps that are potentially destructive, I think it is a reminder that we need to have the visibility to know whether U.S. funds are being used in a way that's actually not compatible with U.S. policy. And U.S. policy should not be promoting this kind of settlement construction. Okay, now let let me just be clear about a couple of things. In this clip, Pete Buttigieg is defending the Iran deal in which the United States allows dollars to flow to the Iranians for terror use, right? For them to build rockets and send them to Hezbollah. Like Israel's greatest threat right now is not from the Palestinians. It's not directly from Iran. It's through Hezbollah on its northern border. Within three years, Israel will likely be at war in Lebanon because the Hezbollah entity in Lebanon, which is an Iranian front group, is going to be firing rockets into northern and central Israel in very short order. Israel will have to go to full-scale war there because that's a terror group on their northern border funded by Iran. So Pete Buttigieg is saying, the Iran deal is good because we only focused on nuclear. So if they take all that money and they spend it on terrorism, that's totally cool. That's what, And that's why we should have signed on to the deal, right? And then he's like, well, but you know what we really should do? We should think about cutting off money to Israel, not to Iran, to Israel. We should think about cutting off money if they build extra bathrooms in East Jerusalem. That's the big problem is people building apartment buildings in, in Efrat. That's, that's, it's such a problem. People, Jews living in areas, wow, really bad. We can't have Jews living in any of those areas. Why? Well, because... How are you going to make a peace deal if you've got all of these areas where Jews are living? And the answer is the Jews will live in Israel and then the Palestinians will live in a state of Palestine when they actually create a government that is worthy of the name. And Israel has offered to demolish settlements before. Israel has offered to withdraw from certain areas. Israel has withdrawn and moved 6,000 people from the Gaza Strip. That was in 2005. You know what it resulted in? The election of Hamas and the firing of rockets into Israel on a regular basis from Hamasistan in the Gaza Strip. First of all, the United States coming from the position, anybody coming from the position, frankly, that Judea and Samaria are sovereign Palestinian territory, knows nothing about history, knows nothing about international law. Okay, the fact is, so whose territory? Whose? What entity? What entity owns that territory? That was Jordanian territory until 1967, at which point they lost a war. Israel has offered that territory back to Jordan. You know who didn't want it? 
the Jordanians, because it comes along with this entire Palestinian population, which unfortunately is by poll numbers and by electioneering data, extraordinarily radicalized. Okay, so under international law, this is a disputed territory, right? Even the, the famous UN resolution talking about occupied territories, it doesn't talk about the occupied territories, meaning all of it. It says some of these territories are occupied, and that is a status for final negotiation. But if you're Israel, why would you say to Jews, you're not allowed to settle anywhere in this area? You know, we're going to hold this in abeyance for this terror group. Or alternatively, maybe the settlements are actually a good pressure tactic to bring somebody to the table. Because it's like, listen, you want to make a deal and you want to secure this particular portion of land? You know what you could do? You could make peace and stop trying to murder people. That'd be pretty good. It turns out, by the way, that when none of this territory was in Israeli hands, the the, the Arab nations surrounding Israel launched, let's see, the 56 war and the 67 war. And then when it was in Israeli hands, they launched the 1973 war, the Yom Kippur war. So ownership of the territory does not have anything to do with the effort to destroy Israel wholesale. Like if you think the Palestinian, how many times must Israel offer to make a deal, including the uh, land swaps, right? This is what they've talked about. They've talked about, okay, so Israel will will take these settlement areas and they will incorporate them into Israel proper. And then they will give them land swaps equivalent to that amount of land. Nobody is talking about dismantling any of the Palestinian areas, by the way, that are in the so-called West Bank in Judea and Samaria. But there's Pete Buttigieg basically saying, let the money flow to Iran, even if they use it for terror. But we got to cut off this foreign military aid so long as Jews keep building extra extra bedrooms in, in one of these so-called settlements. Okay, if by settlement they mean a city that is in a disputed area, that's what a settlement is. A settlement is not people going into the middle of Nablus and then declaring that Nablus is sovereign Israeli territory forever and we're just going to stay here forever. Nobody wants Nablus, okay? Let's be, let's be frank about this. <laughs> Nobody wants Janine. Nobody is interested in Tulkarm. Like, it's, it's just, it's absurdity. But it wasn't just Pete Buttigieg making this case. Of course, it's Bernie Sanders, who uh, I, I do love when people do this. The media are like, he'd be the first Jewish president. Yes, he'd be the first ethnically Jewish president, which has as much to do with Judaism and being Jewish, like in terms of practice or philosophy or Israel, as as being, frankly, being born Polish. Like it has nothing to do with anything. Okay, Bernie Sanders despises the state of Israel, which is why he has been endorsed by Rashida Tlaib and Ilhan Omar. And he made that clear, right? He, Bernie goes even further, right? Buttigieg takes the Obama position. The Obama position is Israel should stop with all of the settlement activity. Ooh, it's very fraught. We can't have people building in, in, in Kiryat Shmona. We can't, have, we can't have Israel building in any of these areas in Gush, Kati, in, in, in Gush Etzion. We can't have them building anywhere in here because it might make terrorist groups very, very angry and make peace harder. Okay, that is a dumb argument. But it's not even close to as dumb an argument as the argument you're about to hear Bernie Sanders make. Here's Bernie Sanders is here's Bernie Sanders being unbelievably radical, threatening Israel Israel's foreign aid over their treatment of the Gaza Strip, which is run by Hamas. It is run by an Iranian-backed terror group that fires rockets into Israel routinely. And my solution is to say to Israel, is you got 3.8 billion dollars every single year. All right, if you want military aid you're gonna to have to fundamentally change your relationship to the people of Gaza. In fact, in fact, I think it is fair to say that some of that $3.8 billion should go right now into humanitarian aid in Gaza. Okay, well, what is, this is insane. Okay, the Gaza Strip, what he has taught, fundamentally change your, your relationship with what, Hamas? What are you going to do? Open up the border so that Hamas can suddenly ship in military materiel, which is what they've been doing, and then redirect all of that humanitarian aid toward building terror tunnels, which is also what they have been doing? 
You know what's funny about Gaza Strip? It's got some beautiful beaches, right? It's got some really nice beachfront territory over there. If that were a place of law and order and freedom, how fast do you think corporations would move in to build up that area into a nice resort area? The answer is very, very quickly. How do we know? Because the entire coastal line of Israel is a nice resort area. But in order for that to happen, by the way, Israel would love nothing better than that. Like I've been speaking to Israeli ministers. You think Israel wants to control the Gaza Strip? You know what they would love? To have an economically prosperous, peaceful neighbor. That would be awesome for them. Like they would beg for that. But that's not what's going to happen. If Israel were to open up the borders with with Hamas, all that would happen is that Hamas would ship in a bunch of military material. Their literal stated goal is the destruction of the state of Israel and the murder of every Jew in the region. This is not a giant, this is not a, in any way, a giant surprise. But it, but the, the, you wonder why Republicans aren't going to turn to the Democrats. This is why they're not going to turn to the Democrats. You want to know why they're not going to return to the Democrats? Because Bernie Sanders is out there saying that the reason to deal well with the police is that the police don't shoot you in the back of the head. This is another thing that Bernie Sanders said yesterday. He said that the reason to respect the police is so they don't shoot you because that's what police do routinely. Is they just, if, if you if you're, say something nasty to a police officer, all the time they just shoot you directly in the back of the head. All the time. I mean, you look at that and then you go, yeah, I'm voting for Trump. Sorry. Sorry. You, you guys, all you had to do was not be crazy and you just couldn't do it. Here's Bernie Sanders being crazy. If I'm your son, what advice would you give me the next time I'd be pulled over by a police officer? I would respect what they are doing so that you don't get shot in the back of the head. I would be very cautious if you were my son in terms of dealing with that police officer, but I also defend my rights and know my rights and make sure if possible that police officer's camera is on what goes on. Okay, I mean, just unbelievable. You have to respect the police so they don't shoot you in the back of the head. In a second, I'm gonna show you why so many Americans look at President Trump, they go, yeah, the guy's got foibles. Yeah, he's got character flaws, yeah. He may say dumb, bad things sometimes, but I'm not going to vote for these guys. I'll show you that in just one second. First, let's talk about what happened this morning. So I had a very, very rough evening. So not only did our rental car get screwed up through circumstances I shall not deign to mention, but also we came home and then my son decided, you know, it'd be a great idea. I'm just going to projectile vomit everywhere, which is the joys of having children, guys. I talk about it all the time. Well, that meant that we were up very, very late last night. I was up early this morning in order to record the show, and I needed coffee. Well, what was the kind of coffee that I like? Black Rifle Coffee. There's nothing quite like Black Rifle Coffee when it comes to giving you a kick in the pants. With tons of different roasts to choose from, Black Rifle will ship the best roast to order coffee directly to your door. A portion of all Black Rifle's profits go to supporting veteran, law enforcement, fire, and first responder causes. When you drink Black Rifle Coffee, you're supporting a company that serves coffee and culture to people who truly do love America. I mean, I know the guys who founded Black Rifle Coffee. These are awesome dudes. Many of them are military veterans. They are just the best like people you want to hang out with and people you want to do business with. If you've been on the fence about joining the Black Rifle Coffee Club, there is no better time than now. Help them reach their goal of hitting 100,000 club members by the end of this month. Get access to discounts and offers not available to other customers. Visit blackriflecoffee.com slash Ben. Get 20% off your first purchase. That is blackriflecoffee.com slash Ben for 20% off that first purchase. Again, blackriflecoffee.com slash Ben. Okay, well, we're going to get to more of why no sane person would vote for the Democrats at this point. But first, you have to go over to dailywire.com and subscribe. Nine ninety nine a month, nine nine bucks a year. You know the pitch. Plus, we have the Daily Wire app, which is awesome and allows you to communicate with me directly. If you're a subscriber, you can access all of our content, including articles, shows, and more straight from the app. All Access subscribers get our new exclusive discussion features where they can interact directly with our hosts, writers, and other special guests. The app is available on Apple and Android, so download it today, become a subscriber, and come join the fun. Go check us out. We have all sorts of goodies 
Check us out at dailywire.com. We are the largest, fastest growing conservative podcast and radio show in the nation. Okay, so as you say, you, know, you hear Bernie Sanders say things like, I'm gonna, you know, you should cooperate with the police so they don't shoot you in the back of the head. You hear him say stuff like that. You hear him say, you know what we really need to do? We need to pressure Israel into making concessions to Hamas. And, and you say, like, no, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm not voting for these people. I'm not voting for these people because they're, they're crazy. I mean, this is, this is nuttiness on the highest level. And then you hear Trump and you think to yourself, okay, well, at least he shares some basic common sense values. For example, he was talking to police yesterday and he says to the police, listen, you don't hear it enough. You do a really good job. The fact that that is a political statement shows you how far off the trail the Democrats are. Why can't Democrats just say that and say, yes, they're bad apples. We're all interested in rooting them out, including good cops are interested in rooting out bad apples. Nobody wants to see cops do bad things. But the police officers daily are doing amazing work keeping you safe. And high crime areas don't need fewer police officers. They need more police officers. They need more of a police presence. Here's President Trump saying what used to be a common sense thing about the police. You don't hear it enough. You do an incredible job. The people of this country know it. And the people of this country love you. You don't hear that from these people back here, but they love you. Every day of my presidency, I will be your greatest and most loyal champion. I have been and I will continue to be. Okay, I mean, that is common sense stuff. And then Trump went further. He said, listen, I'm not going to put the needs of illegal immigrants over law-abiding citizens. Most Democrats find this offensive. Most Americans, as a general rule, say this sounds like perfect common sense. Why exactly wouldn't we favor American citizens over people who are here legally? People like Johnson put criminals and illegal aliens before the citizens of Chicago. And those are his values. And frankly, those values to me are a disgrace. I will never... Put the needs of illegal criminals before I put the needs of law-abiding citizens. It's very simple to me. Okay, I mean, the fact that Trump says this sort of, like, this is why Trump supporters go, okay, if I have a choice, listen, with all of all the other crap, if I have a choice between that and Bernie Sanders saying that cops are going to shoot you in the back of the head or Joe Biden saying that white people don't get pulled over by cops, like, not much of a choice, is it? All they had to do was not be crazy, and they couldn't do it. That's all Democrats had to do was not be crazy. And each and every day, their derangement of the fact that Trump is the president of the United States is even more on display. So, for example, the people were cheering the other night because President Trump went over to Washington, D.C. He went to the Nationals Park for the for game five between the Nationals and the Houston Astros, and he was roundly booed by the crowd. And a lot of people on the left were, were cheering this. Now, a few people on the left were like, ah, this isn't a good look. But the fact is, of course he was booed. Washington, D.C. voted 96% for Hillary Clinton. Of course he was booed. Okay, but most Americans look at that and they go, he's still kind of the president of the United States. Like, I may not like him all that much, but he's still kind of the president of the United States, and that's not a fantastic look. It is not a great look. Okay, and then you have incidents like this one that was making the rounds on social media. There's a rapper named YG. I don't know what it stands for. I guess it is, is given name. I don't know. In any case, he brings a white guy onto stage at one of his concerts and asked him to say, F Donald Trump. And the guy said, no. And here's what it sounded like. I spotted you out in the crowd. I asked you if you with Donald Trump, you said you don't know. So since you don't know, 
I need you to make up your mind tonight. I need you to uh, say your name. I want you to state your name because I know your mama, your daddy, your grandmama, your grandfather is watching. I want you to state your name and yell out Donald Trump. No, you won't. Get his ass out of here. Get him out of the stand. Okay, is that a good look? I mean, like, really, is that a good look? When was the last time you had somebody come to a, a, a concert by a country star and the country star brought them up sta on stage and said, I need you to shout F Barack Obama. And if you don't, get him the F out of here, right? That is that the kind of, like, most Americans, I, I think a lot of Americans, conservatives too, spe specifically, look at that and they say, this is how the left thinks of us. The left, they're radical. They hate all of our priorities. They don't like us very much. They sneer at us. They won't have us at their, like, I'm, that guy was just there to listen. Like, he paid for entry, presumably, into that concert. Or at least he paid to get there, even if it was a free concert, which I don't know. Like, he was there to be a fan. And he was called on stage and humiliated for the great sin of not saying F the President of the United States on stage. By the way, I wouldn't say F Barack Obama. When Barack, like, if somebody had called me up on stage and said, I want you to shout F Barack Obama on stage in 2015, I wouldn't have done it. I wouldn't have done it. Because the sitting president of the United States, as much as I may despise who the sitting president is, is still the sitting president of the United States. It's a very bad look. Most Americans see that and they say, okay, if this is the left, how could I possibly side with them? How is that even a possibility? The right in America believes that the left are coming for them and despise them. The middle in America, look at the far left, which is taking control of the Democratic Party, and they're afraid too. And they should be afraid because the Democratic Party is unfortunately staffed by people who are so far to the left that it's making even kind of normal Democrats blush at this point. You know, take a perfect example. So Chicago, not exactly a right-wing bastion, is currently suffering from a teacher's strike. There are 25,000 teachers on strike and 300,000 children out of the classroom. They're striking against the black, I believe, lesbian mayor of Chicago, a Democrat named Lori Lightfoot. Okay, so she's about as intersectional as it gets. And she is, and, and she's being struck against by the Chicago public school teachers. And Elizabeth Warren showed up on the picket lines and other Democrats showed up on the picket lines. Chicago literally has no money. You think that Lori Lightfoot doesn't want to sign a deal with the, with the teachers unions? Are you crazy? She's a Democrat. Of course she does. But the radicals have taken such control of the Democratic Party that even people who are mildly responsible for running cities are like, we can't run the city. How exactly is this supposed, like, how, how? Chicago's teachers represented, this is according to the Washington Post, represented by a powerful union in an overwhelmingly democratic city, last went on strike in 2012. Thursday's strike idled some 25,000 teachers and 300,000 students. The Chicago Teachers Union and Mayor Lori Lightfoot, who faces her first major test as city leader, reached a contract impasse, forcing Lightfoot to cancel classes on Thursday. Teachers were joined on the picket lines by special education assistants, bus aides, school security guards, and other staff represented by the SEIU Local 73, whose contract negotiations with the city also stalled. Lightfoot has said the city can't afford the teachers' demands, which include a restorative justice coordinator for every school. Restorative justice coordinator? What in the world is that job? You walk around restoring justice. What are you, a superhero? A restorative justice coordinator. She told reporters Thursday morning the schools would remain closed and teach until teachers agreed to come back to the classroom. You think Lori Lightfoot doesn't want to sign a deal? Some teachers on the picket line said they are battling to force Lightfoot to hew to her campaign platform, which emphasized educational justice. Teachers are hoping to force the city to commit to easing a housing crisis that has driven out many of the city's black residents. More than 16,000 students were counted as homeless in 2018. 
Lightfoot said at a Wednesday news conference she was dismayed by the union's job action, said I was disappointed by the decision to begin a work stoppage and force the cancellation of classes. We reiterated that our proposal was rooted in our admiration for the job that educators and school staffers do every day. Like Democrats have so, they've gone so far off the path that even Democrats who are even responsible for just, run, they, they, like, what's Lori Lightfoot supposed to do with that? And then you have the Democratic presidential candidates jet-setting in to stand with the picketers against Lori Lightfoot. It's insane. It's insane. And on top of that, you add the cultural battles. On top of that, you add the cancel culture that is promoted by the left. There's a crazy article in the Washington Post today by some dude named Aaron Friedman, a writer based in Brooklyn, New York, which, well, I mean, if I were a writer based in Brooklyn, New York, I'd certainly get a column in the, in the Washington Post. You mean a writer who's also based in Brooklyn, New York? I mean, what a credential. Because there's nobody who writes in Brooklyn, New York, aside from every person in Brooklyn, New York, overlooking a smelly garbage dump. They look out back, and there's a bum drinking from a, from a liquor bottle. And, and then you just write about that. And then you become, I guess, the foreign, top foreign policy into President Obama, actually. That's how Ben Rhodes got a job. So that's, that, that's good stuff. Writer from New York, writing for the Washington Post. Critics of cancel culture really just hate democracy. So in other words, if you oppose the cancel culture, which attempts to not say, I'm not going to go see the show, or I'm not going to listen to the show, or I'm not going to listen to this website or something. If you do all of those things, right? It's not about that. It's really more about, are you going to go after people's advertisers and livelihood? And the answer for that on the left is a resounding yes. They want to do that. Cancel culture is not about, you know what? I don't like what Louis C.K. did. I'm not going to his show anymore. And maybe other people shouldn't go to his show. It's not about that. It's about If you go to Louis C.K.'s show, I won't have dinner with you. If you go to Louis C.K.'s show, this makes you a bad person. If you listen to that Dave Chappelle special, man, no one should listen to Dave Chappelle. And Netflix should be ashamed for even greenlighting that thing. It's about the lower downs at Netflix going to their boss and being like, how could you possibly greenlight that Dave Chappelle special? Probably you shouldn't do it next time. Cancel culture is about canceling. It's not about you not wanting to participate in patronage of some artist. Everybody does that all the time. That is merely called that making a decision. Like we do that every single day. There are certain things I like to watch, certain things you like to watch, and they may not match. Cancel culture is about the mobilization of fake armies on Twitter who don't actually care about these issues to bother people in order to ruin their businesses simply because you don't like what they have to say. But Aaron Friedman says, no, 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 this is called democracy. There's some pretty funny aspects of this particular column. He says, cancel culture is best understood through its critics, from social media pundits such as Ben Shapiro and Claire Lehman to a growing chorus of mainstream writers like Barry Weiss and Brett Stevens. There you will find a familiar line of argument. Once upon a time, Americans tolerated and even embraced uncomfortable views and problematic people. But now, when someone is ratioed on Twitter or protested at a panel discussion or booed during a comedy set, it supposedly offers evidence that people are afraid of ideas that challenge them. In casting out those they disagree with, cancel culture's critics argue, the public is excluding the very ideas it needs most. Strip away this intellectual gauze, and the critics of cancel culture have a pretty simple argument, as Yasha Monk recently endorsed in The Atlantic. If everyone always agrees with you, you're doing it wrong. In other words, don't trust your own opinions. Unless you reflexively heed those who you dislike, no matter how good a reason you have for shunning them, you're doomed to live as an intellectual sheep. This sentiment is more than just petty contrarianism. Apply it in the real world, says this guy, and it becomes clear that contempt for cancel culture is little more than contempt for democracy. So just to get this straight, according to this columnist for the Washington Post, if I take the position, you shouldn't be so sure of your own opinion and you should listen to other people's opinion, that's called contempt for democracy. Contempt for democracy. But if I say that you should patronize whatever business you want, but it is an act of bad to try and destroy somebody's livelihood based on you disagree with them, that is contempt for democracy. Democracy, you see, can only work 
if you try to mobilize people to destroy your neighbor's business. That's how democracy is supposed to work, according to this columnist for The Washington Post. And by the way, I would, I would venture to guess that many of the mainstream Democratic presidential candidates agree with this. He, this columnist says, while our society rightly values protest and free expression, the critics of cancel culture turn this virtue into a vice, contemptuously dismissing those who collectively express their disapproval. No, if you want to collectively express your disapproval, I have, by the way, you can go to my lectures. I have overtly thanked protesters who come to my protest, who come to my lectures and said they're expressing their freedom of speech. They may be wrong. I may think they're stupid, but they're expressing their freedom of speech. Good for them. That's not the problem. The problem is when you fake an outrage wave and then go after someone to ruin their career. Protest as much as you want. Say you don't want people listening to my show as much as you want. Go after advertisers who have nothing to do with the show other than they want access to audiences. Go after my audience and call them a bunch of alt-right white supremacists. Suggest I should be taken off the air. That's a different thing. That's cancel culture. And that's what so many people are kicking back against. That's where Trump's culture warrior status really benefits him. Because all the Democrats had to do, again, all they had to do was not be crazy. And they just couldn't do it. And the ones who are not as crazy, like Joe Biden, who's slightly less crazy than most of the other Democrats, are just weak. So you got the crazy and you got the weak. And that's who I'm saying. Those are the people we are supposed to throw Trump over for? Why? Why? Because Trump doesn't understand his way around the White House and like blunders a lot and stumbles into things like a bull in a china shop and says bad stuff on occasion. And like, I'm sorry, but no, I'm not turning over the levers of the most powerful government in the history of the world to people who actively want to destroy every priority I believe in because you have some qualms about President Trump saying bad stuff on Twitter. Like, that's not a thing. That's not a thing. Okay, we'll do a quick thing I like, and then we'll do a quick thing I hate, and then we'll be out of here. So quick thing that I like today. So as I have said before, I'm not a dog person. I will say that on this trip, we happen to be renting a place that has a dog. My kids love the dog, love the dog. This is a really nice dog. And so they're turning me, they're turning me. But this dog, as nice as this dog is, is not the very best dog. He's not the, the goodest dog. The goodest dog is this dog. This dog is the greatest dog of all time. President Trump released a photo of this dog. Quote, we have, a decla- we have declassified a picture of the wonderful dog, a name not declassified, that did such a great job in capturing and killing the leader of ISIS, Abu Bakr al-Baghdadi. This is the very best dog. This is a good dog. Yes, very good. I, I said yesterday that if, the, if this dog had been decommissioned, I would have made a serious effort to adopt this dog. This is a very good dog. Killing terrorists, best dog ever. Apparently, this dog is also like super dog. According to the New York Post, military dog wounded chasing al-Baghdadi is already back on the job. This is the American dog of war who chased down and cornered evil ISIS leader Abu Bakr al-Baghdadi in his desperate final moments before the terrorist blew himself to hell with his suicide vest. In his dingy Syrian lair, according to the New York Post, President Trump on Monday afternoon tweeted a photo of the four-legged hero clad in what appears to be a camouflaged harness and with his tongue lolling out of its mouth, belying its U.S. Army-trained ferocity. The pooch, apparently it's named Conan, was unleashed after al-Baghdadi when the coward fled U.S. troops down a dead-end tunnel late on Saturday night. Apparently, Conan has already been cleared to return to service. General Mark Milley, the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, said the dog is still in theater. The dog performed a tremendous service, as they all do in a variety of situations. He was slightly wounded and is fully recovering, but the dog is still in theater, theater, returned to duty with its handler. This dog is everybody's best friend. Yes, good dog. Very good dog. Okay, time for a quick thing that I hate. Okay, so I don't actually hate this thing, okay? So let me just say, this really doesn't belong in things I hate, but 
If you're a Republican, you should be a little bit concerned. So the House Democrats are now calling calling Republicans bluff. What exactly are they doing? Well, apparently, they're going to vote on impeachment procedures on Thursday to, quote-unquote, ensure transparency. So Republicans have been claiming that Democrats are doing everything behind closed doors because they're very much afraid that if all of the witnesses they are bringing are exposed to the light, then there's going to be blowback because Republicans will shred them in these hearings and it will be obvious that they didn't actually have firsthand knowledge of the negotiations or they were misinterpreting Trump or that they had other agendas. Well, now Democrats are like, I've, I've never understood why Democrats were doing this behind closed doors. If they were so confident of their case, why not just do it out in the open? And the answer is now they are. According to the Washington Post, Democrats said the move would ensure transparency and provide a clear path forward. They said that they are going to put all of this on TV. The White House responded by taking a swipe at Democrats Press Secretary Stephanie Grisham accused them of conducting an unauthorized impeachment proceeding and declined to comment fully until the text of the resolution is released. Apparently, they want to make this publicly available. And uh, and this follows immediately on, on the revelation that there was an army officer who heard President Trump's Ukraine call and reported his concerns up the chain. This is not the whistleblower, apparently. His name is Lieutenant Colonel Alexander Vindman of the Army the top Ukraine expert on the National Security Council. Apparently, he twice registered internal objections about how Trump and his inner circle were treating Ukraine out of what he called a sense of duty. He plans to tell the impeachment inquiry, according to a draft of his opening statement obtained by The New York Times. So all of this is bad stuff for President Trump, obviously, and we will keep track of it. Plus, we'll be back here later today with two additional hours of content. I'm Ben Shapiro. This is The Ben Shapiro Show. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe. And if you want to help spread the word, please give us a five-star review and tell your friends to subscribe too. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Also, be sure to check out the other Daily Wire podcasts, including The Andrew Clavin Show, The Michael Moles Show, and The Matt Walsh Show. Thanks for listening. The Ben Shapiro Show is produced by Robert Sterling, directed by Mike Joyner, executive producer Jeremy Boring, senior producer Jonathan Hay. Our supervising producer is Mathis Glover, and our technical producer is Austin Stevens. Assistant director, Pavel Wydowski, edited by Adam Saievitz. Audio is mixed by Mike Coromina. Hair and makeup is by Jesua Olvera. Production assistant, Nick Sheehan. The Ben Shapiro Show is a Daily Wire production. Copyright Daily Wire 2019. Somehow, the story of how U.S. troops killed ISIS leader Abu Bakr al-Baghdadi has gotten even better as President Trump declassifies a photo of the dog who chased him down. We will examine what the photo means as most Americans ignore the strategic and symbolic significance of this very, very good boy. Check it out on The Michael Knowles Show. We'll get to more on this in just one second. First, Pure Talk believes in American values and that free should mean, you know, like free. So when you switch to Pure Talk today, you'll get a free Samsung 5G smartphone. There's no four-line requirement, no activation fee, just a free Samsung that's built to last with a rugged screen, quick-charging battery, and top-tier data security. Qualifying plans start at just 35 bucks a month for unlimited talk, text, 15 gigs of data, and a mobile hotspot. Pure Talk gives you phenomenal coverage on America's most dependable 5G network. It's the same coverage you know and love, but for half the price of the other guys. The average family saves almost $1,000 a year. So, 
I challenge you to choose a company that actually doesn't hate your guts and shares your values. Let Pure Talk's expert U.S. customer service team help you make the switch today. Go to puretalk.com Shapiro to claim your eligibility for your free brand new Samsung 5G smartphone and start saving on wireless today. Again, go to puretalk.com Shapiro to switch to my cell phone company. I've been using them for years. They're fantastic. You'll love them as well. Go to puretalk.com Shapiro and claim your eligibility on that free brand new Samsung 5G smartphone. Start saving.